Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week 10 in the books. We got some games to talk about. Some interesting stuff went on this weekend. First of all, how are you? How was your weekend? Uh, Weekend was pretty good. Played golf on Saturday. Was able to miss most of the Virginia Tech game, which was probably for the best. I got to tune in. I got to tune in uh, right around mid to late third quarter. At the beginning of the implosion for the Virginia Tech offense, that was really good. I, I got home just in time. I was going to say, so you missed the part of Virginia Tech being actually pretty good in that game and showed up right in time for them to uh, to blow it at the end. That's good. Yeah, and then I watched the condensed game yesterday, and that was a very nice reminder of how good they looked and just how much more angry I would have been if I watched that game in its entirety live. Mm-hmm. So at least I knew what was coming when I watched a condensed version, so I wasn't quite as mad, but I knew I would have been if I watched that whole thing live. Yeah, Mike, we got five games to recap here from this weekend. Let's just start right there. Number nine, Miami, 25. Virginia Tech, 24. And honestly, like for, again, kind of like you're alluding to here, for at least like 40 minutes of action in this game, it started to become really clear why Virginia Tech was favored because they were the better team. I was really impressed with how the defense played. They were getting pressure on on Derek King in a way that we haven't really seen much of anybody south of Clemson able to do. Um, I, I really was impressed with them, again, for the first like 40 minutes and then really late in the third quarter, if not in the fourth quarter, things kind of went to hell pretty quickly for the Hokies. Yeah, I mean, this game really boiled down to Virginia Tech offensively playing it a bit conservatively in the fourth quarter with the play calling. I think that this, and a lot of Virginia Tech fans who listen to this are going to be, you know, blaming Brad Cornelson, which I think is is fair, number one. So I will say that it's, it's fair to uh, accuse the offensive coordinator of terrible play calling because it happens frequently, sometimes unfairly, but it is what it is. And Virginia I was Tech's right there off- with him for what it's worth. I, I didn't yeah. like the offensive play calling in a lot of cases. Yeah, I, I think what harmed Virginia Tech here, and I think it's the difference between Virginia Tech being the program that a lot of fans want it to be and the program that it is right now, is that good teams and good coaching figure out how to kind of overcome obstacles when the going gets tough. That's that's a general point I want to make, and then more specifically, not having Khalil Herbert at 100%, Virginia Tech's inability to kind of figure that out in the fourth quarter is what kind of doomed them in this football game, in my opinion. Now, mm-hmm. ordinarily, you feel pretty good about your chances um, when leading going into the fourth quarter when you have Khalil, a healthy Khalil Herbert in the backfield, but Virginia Tech being unable to run the clock out or effectively throw the ball in a situation when they needed to in the fourth quarter to extend drives and keep Miami's offense off the field is what ultimately doomed them in this football game. Virginia Tech's defense, I thought, played its best game of the year. Really pressured De'Ara King, uh, made it hard on Miami to run the football, which, you know, the Hurricanes rushing offense this season has been a bit up and down. Looked really good early in the year, and now it's just kind of not very good outside of De'Ara King. Cameron Harris was the leading rusher in this game. He had 14 carries for 63 yards, a touchdown. His longest run was 15 yards. So I thought Virginia Tech overall did a really nice job bottling him up, and more importantly, did a really nice job of bottling D.R. King up. 18 carries for 15 yards and a touchdown. Of course, it's non-sack-adjusted numbers. But I thought overall Tech did a really nice job of limiting what he can do running the football. His longest run was 10 yards in this game. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to limit limit the running game of Miami – and Cam mentioned this last week on the podcast is kind of one of the keys for Virginia Tech. If they were able to limit the zone running game of Miami, Virginia Tech would have a good chance because kind of forcing the Hurricanes to throw the ball down the field leads to more opportunities for the defense because De'Ara King will throw you the football. Mm-hmm. And he, he almost did a couple times in this game, but Tech was unable to come up with those turnovers. But I, I think what this boils down to is Virginia Tech, on the Virginia Tech side, they're not 
playing poorly enough to point and say, you know what, this team is quitting on the coaching staff. I, I don't think that's apparent when watching their games, but at some point, like results do matter. And Fuente and his staff, they aren't stacking up wins at all. I mean, Tech has now lost for the second consecutive week at home. They go on the road to Pittsburgh next week, which is not exactly a place where Virginia Tech historically has had a lot of success on the road at Heinz Field. So that sets up kind of poorly. And then Tech has a bye week before playing Clemson in Blacksburg, which will go very poorly. I can guarantee you that. (laughs) And then they end the year with UVA. So there's an opportunity here for Virginia Tech to finish the season with a losing record, which is not something any of us really saw coming, especially with how Tech played early on in the year. Now, in addition to that, on the Miami side, it's another one of those games where they kind of scrape by, but I think they're inherently flawed. They don't run the mm-hmm. football particularly well. Yep. They're scoring enough points to be dangerous in large part because De'Ara King has made the difference at quarterback this year. But this feels like similar Miami teams to the last few years with the one caveat being De'Ara King is kind of the difference between them winning by a razor thin edge versus them losing games ugly in the ACC mm-hmm. with low scoring performances and having a pretty good defense that keeps him in it, but an offense that can't put him over the top. The Eric King is clearly the one guy who's making up for that this year, and that's why Miami is seven and one. But they are not one of the top, you know, top ten teams in the country, and that bared itself out. The new AP poll has Miami, I think, dropping to twelve, which I think is more in line of probably where they should be. I, I think they're a top fifteen team um, for the real pessimists. I think a top twenty team, but this is a team at seven and one that's probably a couple a couple wins better than they probably actually should be right yep. now as, as a program. They're, they're a flawed team. They're good enough to get the job done against similar caliber of opponent, but I just don't, I don't feel particularly confident in Miami moving forward as this team that's going to greatly threaten the upper echelon of the ACC. And I think that was apparent in the Clemson game earlier in the year. And I think it's becoming more apparent as they kind of scrape by similar competition in the ACC uh, throughout the rest of this year. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say, Mike, like, it's kind of funny to think, I, I, I keep talking this season, and I've, I've, I've put a lot of these recaps in terms of kind of, did I come out feeling better about one team, the other team, both teams, neither team, right. and it's it's not been often that I, I say, I, I came out of this feeling, I, I didn't feel any better about either team here, um, and it's kind of funny to look at it from a Virginia Tech perspective, because, and I think I texted you this on Saturday, it's like, it's kind of wild to think that you're an unranked team, and you were hosting a, a top 10 team and, you know, you lost by one and somehow that's like a pretty big disappointment. And yet right. Virginia Tech found a way to do that. Yeah. On the other hand, like Miami, again, a top 10 team and they, they had to come from behind and win. But I just like I I didn't feel all that convinced by it. Like it just so there there's a lot that went on here that I, I just it didn't feel I, I didn't feel any better about either of these teams, honestly. Um, like you said, I, I think Miami's maybe a little bit more flawed than we've been wanting to realize or, or been you know able to point out. But I thought this game kind of showed that this offensive line, where last year it was a complete and total nightmare, it's maybe not a complete and total nightmare anymore, but it is still very flawed. Um, Work in progress. Yeah, Virginia Tech's front in this game, the front seven in particular on defense, I felt like played their absolute asses off. Um, yep. You know, they were getting after De'Aaron King. They, they did a great job of keeping him in the pocket to where he was, you know, a little bit vulnerable to taking sacks. As Shout opposed- out Gerard Hewitt. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, Gerard Hewitt, what a game he played um, wearing the number 25 this week for Virginia Tech. Um, yeah, they kept De'Aaron King in the pocket. They didn't let him scramble around, and, and they were able to get to him a lot in this game. Um, it, one of the things that really stuck out to me here, Mike, is that Virginia Tech's offense – at least from the running, like a rush run game standpoint, it's it seems like, I, and I don't know how actually valid this is as much as kind of just what Brad Cornelison has kind of turned it into. But it's like, if Khalil Herbert's not there, it's mm-hmm. more or less just like Hendon Hooker or bust. And yes, yeah. And, and I don't think that that's necessarily the proper approach. I mean, you've got guys like Jalen Holston. You know, Raheem Blackshear has struggled a lot this year. There, there's a pretty clear drop-off from number one running back to number two when you go yep. from Herbert to Blackshear, and that's, you know, that, that's fine. That comes with the territory. But, like, you got to figure something else out than just running Hendon Hooker. I mean, he had he was sacked six times. Besides that, he ran the ball 15 times, and it wasn't yeah. particularly effective in most cases. Like This, this is becoming a 
not becoming because this is what it was even in 2016 when the offense was really good for Virginia Tech. This is a player-based offense, not a system-based offense as far as success is concerned. I Take know that sounds Georgia like a, Tech fans. I think that, yeah, as, as ridiculous as that sounds, Virginia Tech hasn't really been able to run the ball for a number of years, right? Even before Fuente got there. It's been since 2011 since Virginia Tech has had a rushing attack as good as this year. Um, side note, Khalil Herbert is the best running back that Virginia Tech's had. And when he's not healthy, you know, he missed most of the game last week against Liberty after the opening kickoff, pulling his hamstring. He clearly wasn't 100% against Miami. He only carried the ball eight times in this football game, so they were clearly limiting his touches. Uh, this is a running game that's still not that great uh, without Khalil Herbert. It's mm-hmm. almost like having a really outstanding running back is able to look any off, make any offense look good. Yeah. And I'm just not so sure that Brad Cornelson has it totally figured out in the running game. Um, now I understand players make systems look good and all that. I, I get all that, but I mean, running Hendon Hooker 20 plus times a game is not the formula. And he's a good, he has good vision as a quarterback, but he doesn't have the frame to withstand that type of punishment week after week after week. And Gerard Evans, it's a big reason why he left early for the NFL back in 2016 is because he didn't want to play in that system anymore. Cause he was getting so damn beat up yep. and, that, that ends up kind of making a difference, and players don't want to play in that kind of system if they're a quarterback, so just keep that in mind. Yep, yep. Uh, one last thing I wanted to bring up, Mike, before we move on. Uh, from an SP Plus perspective, it still has Virginia Tech at 17th. And, and, I mean, the offense in a lot of cases has been really good and able to carry the team and still almost, you know, right at the fringe of, like, a top 40 defense. Like, Virginia Tech does have the makings of a good team, but, you know, haven't been able to pull out a number of these wins, have played down to a couple of opponents, and so... You know, I, I'm guessing this isn't going to make you feel any better. It does remind me a little bit of my Atlanta Falcons, Mike. Uh, oh, okay. Well, so geez. now that you said that, I feel so much better. I'm comparing him to an NFL team. I'm trying to be nice here. Um, you're welcome. That's, I'll leave that there. I I don't <laughs> think there's really anything that can make me feel good about that comparison. Hey, I see you wearing that 28 to three shirt right now. You you earned this. You earned this. I did, and it was unintentional for me to bring this to the table in this podcast. I just looked down and realized that's what I was wearing, so I apologize for that. Meanwhile, Miami is three spots behind Virginia Tech, uh, at number 20 overall. A fringe top 40 offense, a fringe top 20 defense, which, you know, the offense improved from previous years, but the defense, again, clearly a step back there, as we talked to Cam about. The last thing I will mention, that this was a storyline in this game, and we would be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that Miami was playing this game without, I think it was like 12 or 13 players available. Um, a number of them on defense, I believe. They had a, a yep. number of absences, you know, due I believe due to COVID reasons, but they didn't really yeah. say for sure. Um, so that that surely played some sort of role here in the uh, in the results and, and Miami having to come from behind. Yeah, almost actually ended up costing both teams the game from the standpoint of it didn't get almost didn't get played because Miami, I think they were down to like six healthy scholarship offensive linemen as well. So. The issue was in the trenches on both sides of the football for the Hurricanes. So hopefully everybody gets healthy. It's good that they were still able to play the game, but yep. not great. Yep. And, of course, we'd also be remiss if we didn't mention that Miami kicker Jose Borregales finishes this game with one carry for one yard after a horrific f- fake field goal attempt early in this game. Um, <laughs> Manny, come on. What are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, also, one other note, post-game win expectancy for Miami was not very good, right? It was below 50%. Yeah, I think it was like 45% mm. chance of winning this game. Yeah, coin flip. So you play this game five more times. Who knows where that turns out being? Yep, exactly. Miami 25, Virginia Tech 24. Let's move on, Mike. Number two, Notre Dame 45, Boston College 31. Damn the hook. Damn the hook on this on this line, Mike. We had Boston College at 13.5, and they lost by 14. Um, good on Notre Dame here. They they avoided the letdown in a way that I, I was not really expecting them to, and that's that's a pretty big sign of development from them. Um, Boston College did not. I didn't feel like they came out with you know the true hair on fire playing that we've seen them in the in the red bandana game in previous years, and maybe it was a, a lack of crowd situation. Yeah, that kind of contributed to that. But it seemed like there was just a little bit of something missing from a uh, you know ex- excitement from what we've gotten used to. Overall, I mean, this is a good win for Notre Dame. Um, you know, just made a lot of plays on offense. I mean, most of their offensive drives ended in points or even, you know, near points. So, you know, I I don't know how many, you know, how much to say, how much I have to say about this, but Notre Dame played a good game here. Yeah. I think the the big takeaway for me is that Boston college came out and played a pretty good first quarter. 
And Notre Dame didn't exactly play poorly in the first quarter, but they didn't capitalize either with some of the opportunities that they had. It was kind of like longer, drawn-out drives early in the game. But then I thought the second quarter, they took advantage of uh, some opportunities they had from a field position standpoint. And I think that Ian Book developing chemistry with his wide receivers over the last month or so is turning into a really solid development for Notre Dame. Uh, Ian Book, we talked about how well he played against Clemson, probably game of his life territory. He was really good again on Saturday, 20 to 27 for 283 and three touchdowns through the air, had 85 yards rushing on the ground on 10 carries and a touchdown. So he accounts for four total touchdowns uh, in this football game. But um, Notre Dame, I, I thought overall, Played really well. I mean, that Ben Skoranek had a big game at receiver. He had five catches for 63 yards and three touchdowns. Notre Dame's defense held Boston College to 85 yards rushing. Phil Dracovic was only 18 of 40 passing in this football game. So Notre Dame's defense gave BC a lot of issues, um, even with just four- and five-man pressure at some, at some points throughout this game. It wasn't like Notre Dame had to just constantly blitz Dracovic. He just was under pressure constantly the whole game. Yeah, And you have to credit Notre Dame's front for that. And, and Notre Dame just kind of controlled the tempo. I thought from probably five minutes into the second quarter and kind of onward, this was Notre Dame just kind of controlling the tempo and kind of playing on their terms, which, again, for the second week in a row, Notre Dame has shown the ability to do that, this time against an opponent that's not nearly as good as Clemson. They just kind of came out and hit them in the mouth and kind of took over the football game, which – is a really encouraging development. I mean, the final score is 45 to 31, probably not as indicative of how dominant a win this was for Notre Dame. The Irish had three turnovers uh, in this game that I think if you look back on it, you could say, you know what, that probably would have set up at least uh, 10 to 14 more points. And I think for the mistakes that Notre Dame made, they still looked dominant, which we haven't always seen out of Brian Kelly coach team where they've been able to overcome their mistakes in such a fashion that it still looks and feels like a blowout despite not playing at their best. So definitely a step back offensively because of the turnovers um, compared to the Clemson game. But with Ian book only having seven incompletions, having three touchdown passes, him being able to scramble and run the ball well um, and Notre Dame, you know, monitoring Kyron Williams's carries in this game too, because he he took a shot before halftime and they held him out for most of the second half just as a precaution. Uh, and, and still being able to run the ball well with Chris Tyree and Sebo Flemister in this game too, yep. I think is really good because it shows that ND can get the job done without Kyron Williams at full health, which yeah. is something that you needed to see because the running game is the basis of Notre Dame's offense. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't have any major takeaways here other than, yeah, I mean, to see Notre Dame come out and control a game the way that they did, um, I mean, that was that was impressive, and that's the kind of thing that we haven't seen them do on a, such a consistent basis in previous years, and it seems like that's really the, the big difference here in, in this team this year. Uh, it helps that Ian Book is is pretty dialed in right now, it seems. Um, he, he, you know, he's playing really good football. Um, he's finding guys at every level of the secondary. I mean, short throws, long throws. He's connecting on things. He's clearly built up a, a good rapport with Javon McKinley and Ben Skoranek. Like, there, there's a lot of good stuff going on here for Notre Dame, both offensively and defensively. Um, I mean, the fact that Notre Dame was able to hold Zay Flowers to three catches for 25 yards, Hunter Long to four catches for 59 yards, it's almost like – Somebody needs to look and see what Notre Dame did, and it might have something to do with covering Hunter Long. Sometimes I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but Jerkovic threw a really bad interception targeting Hunter Long, and yeah, tell that that was that was a film. I like to call this a film pick, mm-hmm. where that interception was made on like Wednesday or Thursday when Notre Dame saw that play coming because yep. Jack Kaiser stepped right in front of it, right into I a mean, throwing lane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jerkovic hit him in the numbers because he just kind of slid right in front of that route. They just knew it was coming. Yep. Yeah, Dracovic, for what it's worth, I mean, he he hit some big plays at times and he played with a ton of effort, but it just it wasn't going to be enough. I will say I was interested watching this game in the broadcast. I didn't really realize that him leaving Notre Dame, there was kind of a, you know, like a bad blood element to it. Like, I feel like most any transfer these days, it's all just, you know, it's pretty cordial and well, we wish him the best. And, you know, oh, I had I enjoyed my time here, but you know, that kind of thing. But it sounds like, I mean, Dracovic came out with like a, like a vengeance. Like he, he was hell bent yeah. on trying to beat his old team and beat his old coach and, and all this yeah. and there was some chirping on Twitter beforehand and this, that, and the other. So that, that kind of caught me off guard. I, I didn't realize that. 
yeah, it was at least uh, let's not call it an amicable separation with the coaching <laughs> staff. I mean, the, a lot of the players came to Trukovic after the game. It was clear that they have an affinity for him, and a lot of the players like him. Um, but you even saw guys like Ian Book, and this would make sense to me because Ian Book was never kind of relenting that starting job over Trukovic, and I think mm-hmm. Trukovic was pissed about it. But Ian Book tweeted right after Trukovic left that the circle is tightening. <laughs> that was his tweet reaction to Trukovic announcing his transfer. Mm-hmm. So I think it was clear that Ian Book and Jerkovic aren't exactly best buds. Yeah. Uh, which I, I would understand because Jerkovic was never able to overtake Book. And prob- and Jerkovic, quite honestly, probably thinks he's a better quarterback than Ian Book, which is something I probably would have thought three weeks ago. I'm not so sure I think that now. Yeah. But I do think Jerkovic has a brighter future from an NFL, you know, potential pro po- prospect standpoint, obviously. But I think I agree with uh, that. But you know, just being six five and having a big arm and all that, you usually find a spot in the NFL for those guys rather than six foot nothing guys who throw it about fifty five yards in the air. Yeah. We we've seen Ian Book again put together like three or four straight impressive outings yeah. after you know, in year three as a starter. Like in, Right. Book's a gamer, but he doesn't have the upside that Dracovic has, in my opinion. Right. So uh yeah, I mean, I think it worked out best for both sides that each respective quarterback is in their new place. But, I mean, Notre Dame's got a bye week. They got North Carolina on the road in two weeks a game, which I thought probably would have been a lot more competitive about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Now, given the state of North Carolina's defense, which we'll discuss in a second, I'm, I'm not so sure. And then yeah. ND has a home game against Syracuse and then at Wake Forest before inevitably playing Clemson in the ACC championship game, which is – starting to make me wonder now with how Notre Dame has looked does an 11 and one Notre Dame that potentially loses to Clemson close in an ACC championship game get into the playoff which I think is a discussion that's going to be had here in the coming weeks yeah um, it'll be interesting I am looking forward to having that discussion because I yeah. have opinions on it um, yeah. Mike that's all I got here Notre Dame 45 Boston College 31 let's move on as mentioned Let's talk about that North Carolina defense, but more importantly, the, mm. the offense. Uh, North Carolina 59, Wake Forest 53, absolute track meet in Chapel Hill. This game was wild and back and forth and crazy. North Carolina wins after scoring 28 points unanswered in the second half and the fourth quarter. They finally did get answered at the very end of the game, but it was a 28-point run to come from behind and, uh, and, and take the lead that they would eventually win by. Uh, we tweeted out from the account at one point, Mike, Wake Forest and UNC have combined for 76 points and 1,042 yards of offense. We're headed to the fourth quarter, at which point North Carolina promptly scored on like the first play of the first quarter of the fourth quarter. So yeah. it was, this was a crazy game. It was back and forth. I noticed while watching the Miami Virginia Tech game that every time they'd cut into this game, Wake Forest had scored like three more times. But hey, look, here's a North Carolina score that they're showing a video of. So I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, yeah, because uh, North Carolina with Sam Howell, they get all the highlights, even though Wake Forest probably played better. Mm-hmm. I, so here's the, here's the thing about this. It was a uh, typical whoever has the ball last wins and no defense is going to stop the opposing offense. I learned absolutely nothing from this game. I think that's like, fair. It confirmed it confirmed my thoughts on North Carolina's defense being total ass and it confirmed my opinion that Dave Clawson and Wake Forest are, you know, they're just going to keep being competitive and win games and lose, lose some close games, yep. regardless of who the quarterback is, who they have at receiver, who's at running back, who's departed on defense. It doesn't matter because Clawson always has them ready to play. So yep. I learned nothing from this game. Nothing. I will say like Wake Forest at this point is probably pretty clearly better than at least I gave them credit for in the preseason. I, I thought this was going to be a lost year. It was going to be a mess uh, with, again, all the personnel leaving and a tough schedule. But, man, this Wake Forest team, if nothing else, I mean, they will fight like hell and they they, they, will. they play hard. So I think um, my prediction was five and six overall for them. And I, I, that could come to pass. <laughs> I think I had him at like three and eight or something like that. Like, I, yeah. I, I you know, I just looked at the schedule. I was like, I don't think it's going to work for him this year. But, yeah, I mean, Sam Hartman has, has been pretty outstanding for him. I mean, he he's 29 to 45 for 429 and four scores in this game. Um, not quite out dueling Sam Howell at 32 of 45 for 556 touchdowns and one pick. Freaking um, good. Yeah, this game was this is it was a crazy game. Um, ends up with something like 1200 yards of offense, 1300, excuse me, uh, 1300 yards of offense. I, I mean, it was it was fun to watch. This is probably the best TV show of the day in terms of college football watching. Yeah, I would agree with that. So North Carolina's offense is really really good. Their defense is not so good. 
Uh, they are, and we've talked about flawed teams in the ACC because there are several. Mm-hmm. In fact, most teams are flawed. Yeah. Even Clemson has their flaws. <laughs> like, I just look at this North Carolina team and wonder just how could they be this bad on defense? I mean, I, I wasn't sure that they had it all put together in the preseason when we were previewing them, but I, I guess I'm a little bit surprised just kind of over the totality of the season how bad this defense has been. I don't feel like they're like absolutely god awful. I, I feel like there's there's obvious room for improvement there, and and they kind of rely on turnovers at times. But like, I don't. I, I mean, they can get a stop here now and again. Like they're they're not just a total sieve. I will say that you know watching North Carolina's defense versus watching like name another really bad defense. I mean Louisville's even improved defensively. They have, but but. There are defenses in the ACC that I look at, and I'm like, okay, that I don't, I don't feel the same way about North Carolina. So I agree with that overall premise of it, but they've been pretty bad, and I've been a little bit taken aback by, I mean, their inability to slow down Wake Forest. Now, Wake Forest offense, to their credit, you know, they've put up a ton of points in a lot of games this year, but some of it might have to do with the fact, and you pointed this out before we hit record. A lot of this might have to do with the fact that Wake Forest defense that they face so far, like throughout the ACC, might not be quite as good as some of the other ACC opponents that they could have gotten. Like, there are some weak defenses on the schedule for Wake Forest, and they're taking advantage of that offensively. And North Carolina looks like they fall right into that category. North Carolina is sixth in the ACC in yards per play allowed in conference games. It's wild. Yeah, like it's, it's wild. They they can give up a, a good number of points. I mean, they gave up forty four to Virginia. Um, they they gave up thirty one to Florida State. Now I think there was at least one turnover for a score in that game. Gave up forty five to Virginia Tech, who we know is a pretty good offense. Like they've, I feel like they've done okay defensively this year. Not particularly great, but like they're not awful either. Um, it's holding them back though. It is, and and I mean again, they're eleventh in SP plus with a number three overall offense. Like. And, yeah. when, and when this offense is clicking, like get out of the way because they're they're coming out and they're going to score a bunch of points. Like they're, yeah, they're fifty nine really points, fifty nine points. Howell throws for five fifty. Daz Newsom had almost two hundred yards receiving. I mm-hmm. mean, this is, I mean, the offense when clicking on all cylinders. And that's before we even talk about how good the running game's been uh, with Javante Williams and Michael Carter. This is a running game that's been really good for most of the year as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really solid offense, and they can outscore damn near anybody, and that's why they're six and two. Yeah, North Carolina up to number twenty four in the coaches poll, and they're the leading others receiving vote getter uh, in the AP poll. So they're they're a top twenty five team. I think they are too. It's kind of weird to not see a number next to their name right now, but you know, is what it is. Yep. Um, so good win for North Carolina. I mean, good, good effort for Wake Forest. By the way, I wanted to point out to Wake Forest at the end of this game, the uh, the end game management for Dave Clawson. I loved it. Uh, Wake Forest scores a touchdown. I believe it was about a minute left in the game. Let me double check that. Uh, yeah, about a minute left. And normally, so that pulls it within uh, eight points. And so normally where coaches would just kick the extra point, go for the onside kick, try to score again. Dave Clawson actually elected to go for two. Uh, and that is mathematically the correct decision if you feel like you have at least a 50% chance to, uh, or I think it's actually only like 40% you need um, yep. to get that two point conversion. They get it, and it makes it a six point game, which Mike then means if you get the extra, if you get the onside kick and go down and score again, an extra point wins the game for you. So, yep. you know, most coaches won't do that. That's kind of a ballsy move, you know, this, that, or the other. Like, but, you know, credit to Clawson for, for doing that and trusting the numbers there. I like that. Yep. No, I agree with that. So. I agree with that. North Carolina 59, Wake Forest 53. Uh, Moving on, Mike, Virginia 31, Louisville 17. Speaking of games that I didn't really feel any better about either team coming out of, um, yes, Virginia won this game by two scores. It helped that they got a a pick six, an 85-yard pick six. Uh, Helps. Yeah, that helps. Worth mentioning, you mentioned the win expectancy for Miami in that game earlier. (laughs) This one's worse. Virginia's was 22% in this game. Uh, Louisville outgains him by upwards of 100 yards and, and multiple yards per play. Like this was a a reasonably good performance. Louisville, by the way, about a couple hours before kickoff, we find out that no Javian Hawkins, no Tutu Atwell in this game. Uh, we've since found out this morning, and this is a little bit breaking news here, Mike. Javian Hawkins is opting out of the rest of the season. He's heading to the NFL draft. I I wonder if we're going to see the same thing from Atwell uh, at this point. 
But Louisville comes in this game. Malik Cunningham absolutely plays his ass off. Uh, 20 carries for 197 yards and two scores. Adds 161 yards through the air. Had one pick that was kind of a mess. I don't know how Louisville ends up running up a 478 yards of offense and only 17 points in this game. But, you know, it was frustrating to see that Louisville wasn't able to convert that into any more points. And it was also frustrating to see, like, Virginia felt like they did just enough. Like, I think we, we said before that we came on here, Virginia had the ball 11 times on offense, and I think six of them, the drive was over with no points in four plays or less. Like, there was one turnover, four three and outs, and a turnover on downs. Like, yeah, I, it, th- this was not fun to watch, really. I don't, I don't know from either side. Just frustrating kind of from both ends. Yeah, it was just kind of a weird game. Now, Louisville's three turnovers really hurt him. Yep. Uh, it was bad that fumbles. that kind of game, like a couple bad fumbles, putting them in tough situations there, and I think that ends up being the difference in this football game. Brennan Armstrong, so you talk about how good Malik Cunningham is. Um, the fact that you don't have Tutu Atwell, you don't have Javion Hawkins, and you still, you know, 161 yards through the air, 197 on the ground, right? So really, really good. Mm-hmm. Brennan, Ar- Brennan Armstrong was the entirety of Virginia's offense in this football game. He had 203 yards in the air. He, he was the leading rusher with 60 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. If he is not playing quarterback for UVA, they are toast on offense. Yeah, the Hoos are in and trouble this, if, that, if he's not there. And this is not a particularly good offense. And without him, they are even worse off. And yeah, I don't really feel great about either one of these teams coming out of this. I don't feel like I learned anything. And yeah, I picked Virginia in the preview to win the game because they were at home. And I was like, oh, yeah, they'll they'll control the clock. That, that was my rationale. You know, they'll control the clock. They'll limit Louisville's explosive plays. They did limit Louisville's explosive plays. I got that part right. Mm. What I got what Louisville, I got Louisville wrong had some big plays. What what I got wrong was that UVA only had the ball for 30 minutes and 32 seconds to Louisville's 29 minutes and 28 seconds, a minute and 4 second difference. So it was basically split in time of possession. So it wasn't like this situation where Virginia just kind of sat on Louisville and just kind of ran the ball. I mean, if Louisville doesn't turn the ball over when they did, Mm-hmm. You talk about opportunistic turnovers. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if they don't turn the ball over when they did, they probably win this football game. Yeah, yeah. Louisville had interception. Uh, they had a turnover in the red zone. They had another turnover, kind of on the in the what you call the green zone, you know, like just you know about at the thirty yard line. So starting to get in the field goal range, and then immediately after that, they turned it over again on the first play of the drive. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a couple of absolute drive-killing turnovers, which, I mean, every turnover technically kills a drive, but, like, they had been on a drive and were working their way deep into Virginia territory, and then they turned the ball over. Really bad. Yeah. yeah. So, there was that. I, I, I did want to say, I felt like, we you know, we've talked a, a good amount of trash about Louisville's defense early this year and about how much they were kind of a mess. Um, they're figuring some stuff out here, Mike. It's yeah, they are. There's a little bit of a talent issue there. Maybe, you know, from a sense of like, I don't know how much great production they're getting at this point. Right. But there's not like ridiculous blown coverages. Like we saw against Miami and and again, a couple of other teams like structurally, they're much improved here throughout the course of the season. It's really just, you know, again, it's an ability or a, um, a, a talent issue more than anything at this point. So, Credit to credit to Brian Brown and that Louisville defensive staff for uh, you know getting it together and I don't know if it's simplifying or just you know getting everybody on the same page or what happened there but so good yeah. on them. Well, I will say too, I, I think the the one play that didn't end up totally deciding the outcome, but was a huge play for Virginia given the two touchdown spread was that pick six way back in the first quarter. Yeah. So um, being able to run that back back eighty five yards for a touchdown was gigantic. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened like seven or eight minutes into the game, so. I mean, that, that was a big play, and I just thought overall, like you mentioned, Louisville turning the ball over the way that they did, kind of deep in opposing territory. This was the first of several on the day. That really killed them. And, and Louisville's defense, functionally, I agree with you. They're starting, to, they're starting to figure some things out. I mean, you hold Virginia to 24 points of offense on the day, which is, look, if Virginia played Louisville earlier in the season, this could have been a bit uglier because it's not like Virginia's offense had figured something out on, you know, they just haven't Virginia's offense. Hasn't really gotten a lot better over the course of the season. It's pretty much stayed the same. Like yeah. there have been some, there've been some games where I look at and I'm like, okay, yeah, they, they look a lot better than other games where they don't look so good. 
So it's been just kind of this up and down roller coaster for Virginia's offense. But I do feel like Louisville's defense is getting better. I think the same could be said for Virginia's defense because this was another unit that I've criticized quite a bit on this podcast, given the amount of returning starters they had and stuff like that. They hadn't been very good. And again, forcing three turnovers against an explosive Louisville offense is the path to winning a football game when offensively you're just trying to kind of be functional enough to get yourself down the field. Brand Armstrong is a big reason why the offense has been so good, and the defense forcing three turnovers in this football game is the reason they won the game. I was going to say Louisville's offense comes away with almost eight yards per play. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not a not a shining badge of of uh, honor for Virginia's offense or for their defense. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to mention too, and I had this thought while I was watching this game. Do <laughs> you ever feel like like half of of what Brandon Armstrong contributes to this offense is just like? him just like making stuff up like it's it's improv it's like schoolyard nonsense i feel like it's like half of what i see him do <laughs> that second t- that second touchdown pass he had he he broke like three tackles in the backfield yeah <laughs> before throwing that touchdown pass yeah i it, mean that's the essence of what he brings to his offense a lot of like scramble drill stuff and i mean yeah. it, good on him for making that stuff work it's just i i don't feel like Virginia is like wowing anybody with the offensive system right now. You'll say that the line, the line is not very good. Yeah, there's that. That that doesn't help. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then I guess the last thought I had was, and I think I, I mentioned this briefly, but Louisville had some some pretty head scratching play calling in here as well. We talked about you know Brad Cornelson with Virginia Tech, and I know that there was uh, there's been a lot of complaints from Louisville fans on Twitter all season really about you know the play calling this year has just not been as creative, inventive, timely, you know whatever that it was last year. And it's, it's probably caused some of these issues that we've seen from Louisville. So, I mean, you had a couple of drives stall on just strange calls. You had a, a turnover on downs in the first drive of the, of the second half when it was fourth and two. And I don't know if there was a, a bad read or what on a read option that just got stuffed at the line, like just not, not creative, not inventive, not, you know, not exciting. So frustrating afternoon, I think for both teams, um, you two know, average degree, teams but, at best. But at the same time, I mean, if you're Virginia, you won by two scores. So, Yeah, these are two mediocre teams at best. Yep, absolutely. And, and Louisville, I mean, you, you can't help but say, I mean, definitely a disappointment from what we thought they were going to be this year. So, I agree. I, I, it's Yeah, year one is looking like they overachieved, and year two is right about where we think that they are as a program. Yep, yeah. And, and, and it's, it, it's funny, too, because looking at them at two and six, they're still 38th in SP plus, which puts them at like fifth or sixth in the conference. Like, yeah, that's actually pretty good. Well, yeah, they've they've lost a couple of games that they had a decent chance of winning if a couple more things break their way. I mean, they lose to Pitt close. They lose to Notre Dame by five in South Bend, lose by a touchdown to Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. So or at home, I guess, against Virginia Tech. But I mean, you see. A lot of close games have been lost this year for Louisville, too. They could at least be two or three wins better. Yep. Virginia, 31. Louisville, 17. Last one, Mike. NC State, 38. Florida State, 22. Uh, no Jordan Travis for Florida State here. Uh, already had no James Blackman, no Marvin Wilson, no Scary Terry, no Partridge in a Pear Tree. Um, <laughs> I mean, good good yeah. win for NC State. I, I, I thought that the NC State rushing attack struggled in this game in a way that I wasn't really expecting them to. So credit to Florida State's defense for that, but you know Bailey Hockman, all of a sudden again seems to have turned it around and looks actually pretty decent here for NC State, um, getting a win here. Chuba Purdy and Tate Rotomaker shared duties at quarterback for Florida State, um, but this game just never really felt particularly competitive. NC State had a twenty-one to three lead at halftime, and it just never really felt close after that. So credit to the Wolfpack. I think the Seminoles are done here, Mike. Yeah, they're done. This this game was watchable for about. I don't know, a quarter and a half. And then it was like, all right, not going to happen today for Florida State. They couldn't really move the ball with any consistency. NC State's defense, I thought, uh, played pretty well. Uh, Florida State ran the ball well in this game, so we'll give them credit for that. They averaged over four yards per carry. Um, But it was was one of those negative game script situations where they were going to have to throw the ball well to win the game before you kind of blink. They're down 21-3 at halftime, and now you got to throw the ball with – a variety of freshmen mm-hmm. <laughs> it just doesn't doesn't work great joey yeah no uh does not does not work great uh now chuba purdy was not terrible i you know he throws for 181 yards and two touchdowns and there were a couple flashes there yeah yeah so he wasn't totally terrible but i mean i think florida state would feel a lot comfortable kind of playing this game on their own terms and kind of running the ball 
and ha- leaning on that versus leaning on a couple of inexperienced quarterbacks to throw your way to victory. And it just never really worked out that way. What you mentioned about Florida State's defense stopping or, or at least slowing down NC State's rushing attack bears out. I mean, Zonovan Knight had an okay game. He was you know, 17 carries for 94 yards and a touchdown. But out of those 94 yards, one of them was a 36-yard run. So it's not like he was largely effective. But the big the, the big takeaway for me for NC State is, number one, Dave Doran's done an outstanding job this year. And we, we've been very critical of him, and he's been good. I, this yep. is – coming out of last year and looking at this in the preseason with Stephen Muma – we were like, all right, I guess Devin Leary is going to be a starter, huh? And he goes, yeah, hopefully he completes more than 48% of his passes this year. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, we hope so too, for your sake. And he looked really good before he got hurt. And Bailey Hawkman didn't look so great early on in the year, but now he looks like he's developed into a pretty decent passer as he's become more comfortable as a starter in the offense with Devin Leary out. And he had another really nice game against Florida State's defense here. So credit Bailey Hawkman, credit Dave Doran. Mm-hmm. State's trending in a good direction despite their injuries at major positions and kind of the inexperience they've had in parts of their defense. I think they're heading in a good direction. Ricky Person, 10 carries for 18 yards. Woof. Kobe? Maybe. Could be Kobe. Could yeah, be a Kobe award. Well, yeah, we'll settle uh, Kobe. Big big game for Thayer Thomas here for NC State, by the way. 11 catches, 135 yards, and two scores. That was a pretty big evening for him. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, as I mentioned last week, like I'm at this point, I am off the uh, – questions about Dave Doran train I they've been really impressive this year I thought they've been a lot better than I thought they were going to be and to not only you know you developed Devin Leary into a a pretty good quarterback here but then to lose him and have Bailey Hockman show improvement like he has through the year um, I mean that's big credit to Dave Doran and that coaching staff Um, NC State has been a lot better than I thought they would be this year and honestly or probably around you know half you know better than about half the conference at this point that sounds mean but like i'm not i'm not trying to be like they're there there's still kind of a difference between clemson notre dame north carolina virginia tech miami and nc state but like how many other teams in the conference would you not feel confident against nc state against at this point dave doran's job secure well I, right. There there are several teams who are actually playing much worse than NC State, which is an upset coming into the year. Another upset is Dave Doran's job security now being more uh, in a better spot than Justin Fuentes at Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Very interesting. We didn't see that coming. No. Uh, Mike, that's all I got in this game. Anything else? Nope, we're good. NC State 38, Florida State 22. You want to give out some awards here? Let's do it. Let's do it. Um Mike, go ACC moment of the week. This came from the Miami-Virginia Tech game, and it was a little moment that happened. Uh, I believe it was late in the first quarter, maybe early in the second quarter. Uh, Deer King throws a pass to the left-hand side, deep down the sideline to D. Wiggins, sails it over his head. It's a little too deep, incomplete. The go ACC moment, Mike, is what happened after that, uh, when D. Wiggins runs into a perfectly, perfectly placed kicking net. Truck stick. Yeah, truck stick, yeah. Um, I don't know how that kicking net got so close to the sideline. I'm guessing his buddy Jose Borgales has something to say about that. But just watching him run into that net and just slowly topple over was it was kind of hilarious to watch. That's all I know. Yeah, that was very go ACC like. We'll tweet that out. Make sure you all see the video if you haven't already. Yeah, so check the social media accounts for that. Go ACC to UD Wiggins. Uh, nice little graceful fall there on that one. Uh, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial. You tried award, Mike. This week goes to your Virginia Tech Hokies in the fourth quarter. You want to take that one? Yeah, second week in a row, Virginia Tech's offense has looked largely stagnant in the fourth quarter, and they've been doomed by poor coaching. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Virginia Tech's biggest opponent the last couple of weeks has been fourth quarter. Virginia Tech, you tried. Coaching staff, you tried. It's not going well, according to the Virginia Tech Twitter. They as as uh, they better start winning games at some point soon. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> I mean, and if they don't, they get rich. Like. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. It's a it's a great spot for Puente and his coaching staff, huh? Yeah, got to buy out figures and stuff like that. Soft landing spot there. So uh, you tried, and it went okay, Virginia Tech. And then, last but not least, Mike, the Kobe Bryant Memorial uh, Volume Shooter of the Week Award. We we have a couple of uh, candidates for this. We mentioned one there just a second ago, and uh, I think we're going to go with the whole Virginia rushing attack in this game. 
Uh, 42 oh. carries for 165 yards, less than four yards per carry. And, boy, they were trying. They, they were. were. Trying. I will give them a little – Kobe, I, I will give them a little bit of credit. This rushing offense is better than the one last year, which was quite the bar to clear, as you know. That's right. Because that, that running game outside of Bryce Perkins was total garbage. Hard to watch. They're a little bit better than they were a year ago, but mm-hmm. still not great. I think the uh, co Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week award goes to Boston College and their rushing attack as well. A little bit of a uh, an adjustment here for difficulty of defense that they're going against, but still 25 carries for 85 yards. Not a uh, not a super productive day for quite a few carries there. Yeah, it, BC's rushing offense continues to be really really bad. Yeah, and shout out Ricky Person Jr. 10 carries, 18 yards. Nice. Yeah, nice. Uh, Mike, that's all I've got on awards. You got uh, Team of the Week? Oh, all right. Uh, we got we got a couple. Want to do mm-hmm. co-teams of the week here? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay. There's no like one real obvious standout, I, I would say. Okay. I, first of all, shout out to Miami. They did not play their best game and came back in the fourth quarter and made enough plays down the stretch to win. Yep. So it's always good to go win on the road in the ACC. So shout out to Miami for getting yep. that done. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Notre Dame for not coming out real flat against BC. Um, a little slow going in the first quarter, and then it was a rout. Yep. Yeah, good on Notre Dame. Uh, well done there. And credit to North Carolina. You mentioned coming back in the fourth quarter. I mean, again, Tar Heels scored 28 in the fourth quarter to come back and, and win that game. And yep, you gave up 53 points to Wake, but you still won. So yeah. <laughs> credit there. Yeah. A lot of good, a lot of good teams closing this weekend right like yep. a lot of good I, I don't want to say teams are good because that's not always the case but th- there are uh, a lot of teams who closed well in these games that that needed to like if you needed a fourth quarter comeback you probably got it in a lot of cases so yep so i i'm personally going to go with a combo of north carolina and miami for my teams of the week you got miami and, and notre dame got miami and notre dame yep all right fair enough fair enough and then who uh, you got a player of the week sam howell man he had a day sam howell didn't really blink. He had the one interception, but otherwise, man, he was he was good. Uh, yeah. 550 yards and six touchdowns. That is an impressive line, even for his standards. Yeah, that's uh, yeah that that's national player of the week territory. I guess we'll find that out today as we record on Monday. So that yep. would not be surprised if Sam, he was in that category. Honorable mention: Sam Hartman, the other quarterback in that game. I mean, 429 yeah, four scores. Yeah. Um, honorable mention: probably Malik Cunningham. For Louisville, mm-hmm. you know, missing probably his two best offensive weapons, and he played his ass off. I thought he played a great game. Um, you know, as mentioned, Thayer Thomas had a big game. Um, yeah, a lot of good uh, good performances in the ACC this weekend. My one honorable mention outside of Sam Howell is Ian Book. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, really nice day. Three touchdowns through the air, one on the ground, um, nearly 300 yards passing, nearly 100 yards rushing. Really good. He's been just... If this continue, if this type of offense continues for Notre Dame, they're they're going to be dangerous. That's here not a, for the next month or two. That's not a stat line that's going to amaze anybody against a Boston College defense like that. But just the consistency, the you know the good decisions he was making, the you know avoiding sacks and negative plays, not turning the ball over, like you know really good solid performance in a in a what was a, a still a tough spot for Notre Dame in a, in a lot of ways. So well done to him for sure. If he continues taking care of the football like this and he continues finding a passing game more consistently with these receivers down the field, with this Notre Dame defense and rushing attack, that's a pretty good recipe, Joey. Come playoff time, yep. It's a good recipe come playoff time. So this might be, if they figure out that passing game and continue to get better at that, this might be Brian Kelly's most complete team he's had in South Bend. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you, yeah, the last couple of weeks what we've seen from him, if you keep doing that, rest of the year I, I think for sure they are um yeah th- there's not a lot this team can't do at this point so yep uh, pretty exciting time for notre dame fans yep mike that's all i got on week 10 anything else on to week 11 in the acc on to week 11 absolutely we got a an interesting slate coming up we got some teams coming off bye weeks teams coming off unexpected involuntary bye weeks mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting matchups we'll see if cam wants to come on and preview the miami georgia tech game instead of me um, I don't know how much I want to talk about it, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. You never know. Yeah, he might. He might actually want to help us preview most of the games here this week, Joey. I he think might. that that possibility might be on the table because I don't know how much he's even going to want to talk about Miami and Georgia Tech. Yeah, 
I don't know how much fun he had watching that Miami Virginia Tech game. I mean, obviously excited for a win, but like again, I don't know how much better better you feel about Miami coming off that game. So yeah, he doesn't feel great about it. Yeah, I'll tell you that. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. All right, Mike. Well, let's get out of here. Uh, we are going to come back and preview those games here later this week. In the meantime, y'all can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. We're also at BC Podcast ACC on Instagram. Come find us Check there. Check it out. We are posting uh, a lot of content there. It is is uh, quickly becoming a place where we're putting a lot of stuff out. I think it's easy to find stuff there. So go go do that. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free, and most importantly on Anchor. Appreciate those who have. Uh, Mike, they can find us. Uh, they can find us. They can send us an email with their questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Uh, sort of, but thank you. Um, you want to tell them they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of your podcasts there. And oh, uh, also quick shout out because I know that we only do this like once a week. That's part of our agreement. Shout out Homefield Apparel. Absolutely. I was going to say, we, can't, we couldn't forget about them. <laughs> yeah. Shout out Homefield Apparel. Uh, use Go ACC at checkout. 20% off your first order. Tons of great ACC apparel and awesome designs. Go check all that out. Even non ACC apparel. A lot of really good stuff. Oh, there. yeah. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, uh, all across college football, they're yeah. doing great work over there. So go check it out. Use Go ACC to check out. Helps us, helps them. It's good stuff. Startup programs like Bradley and Slippery Rock and Auburn, like any Bowling of them. Green. Yeah. All sorts of good stuff over there. Um, if yeah. you're thinking of Christmas gifts, Hanukkah gifts, Kwanzaa gifts, Festivus gifts, whatever you're trying to do for anyone in your life, I recommend checking them out. And once again, Go ACC at checkout, 20% off your first order. Shout out, Connor. Absolutely. Shout out, Connor. Shout out, Homefield Apparel. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. You want to come back and preview week 11? Yes, sir. I think we got to. All right. Well, we will talk then. Yep. All right. Well, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. We'll talk to you guys again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.